Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. You can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, how decluttering your home can boost your well-being and where to start with it. Lauren McGee on why she's hoping lots of you will be taking part in the Very Pink Run later today for Breast Cancer Ireland. And I get to meet Jessica Seppel to hear how she turned healing her own relationship with food and her body into a billion dollar global empire. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, I want to start by thanking all of you for your emails to at newstalk.com about my blocked nose. It's back and I did take your advice of the saline rinse. Um, sorry if this is putting some of you off your breakfast, but what an experience that is if you've never tried it before. Anyway, the rest continued. I prioritised my recovery over the gym and I'm easing myself back to full health. And I want to talk about rest. I had my first session with Janine Van Someren of The Wellbeing Advantage to talk through the results of my wearing the heart rate monitor. It was so fascinating to see on the graph. You get to see with your heart rate the times you're resting and replenishing in green and the times you're on the go in red. So Janine said that's not necessarily stress, but what she calls load. And of course, we all have it in our lives. So what was interesting to see was the amount of green I had during my day, not just when I was sleeping. I've been sticking to the meditating in the morning and that was a lovely green spike at the start of my day. I was green getting my nails done, which actually I find a pain in the you know what, but I was resting and replenishing there. Who knew? But the biggest surprise was the big bulk when I was sitting at my laptop for two and a half hours. And Janine says this is when someone is in flow, doing work that doesn't tax you too much, but lights you up. And I remember that day I was writing my online course, which is nearly ready. I will keep you posted. And stuff was flying off my fingers and I was really enjoying it. And I was in the same state as if I was in a deep sleep, which is mad. So I think we all know that if you have work that you love, it will have a positive impact on your well-being. There was another green spike as I watched TV that evening and it just made me think. We hear so much negative talk about the sedentary lifestyle and I'm not saying that that's not grounded in fact, but my sitting at my laptop and watching TVs alongside other pillars of health, such as prioritising my sleep, moving my body every day, But that rest was really necessary and good for my health. Now, I say all this not to show off, but to say that honestly, it is achievable. I'm by no means all, you know, over the top. I'm all over the place a lot of the time. I speak about it here on the show plenty. I don't live a restricted, regimented life. It's full of balance and mess, but I have certain pillars that have just become part of my life. And to see them on the graph and see that they are making a difference was fantastic to see. I'm very grateful to Janine at the Wellbeing Advantage for the opportunity and the insights. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Now, Sarah Reynolds runs Organised Chaos, helping people deal with the clutter that builds up in every home. She joins us in studio now to let us know where to start and why to start. Sarah, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about how you got into this line of work. Um, So I got into this around when I was about 15 years of age. (laughs) Um, I was watching Oprah with my mother at home and she was talking about getting her 
offices all organised with Julie Morgenstern, uh, who had just written a book and everything. And as Oprah would say, I had my aha moment. And I was like, oh, maybe I could do something like that. Because at the time, I, you know, I'd be organising my bedroom or my school bag or something like that. So um, I suppose, yeah, that sort of planted the seed. And I did a bit of research into Julie Morgenstern herself and all of this. But I just went to college and got a proper job. And it was a good 15 years later or so before I actually went over to New York and I did a training course with Julie then herself. Wow. And what were the sort of things you learned? Because I think we all think, oh, it'd be great to have a clear out. But why does it really have an impact on our well-being? I suppose one of the biggest things that I learned with Julie initially was that there, um, the importance that there is no judgment around um, clutter and um, around people's need for uh, organisation and that, that they're, you know, we can't be judging people. People come to need, people need to organise their spaces for a variety of reasons, usually because of a big life transition. And that can be a positive one, like moving house or having a baby, or it can be a negative one, like losing a parent or a sick child or something like that. And so we shouldn't be judging as to why there is a certain amount of uh, clutter in people's lives. So that was one of the biggest things that I learned from from Julie. And why is it helpful for us to declutter and organise? I think it just, first of all, there is so much going on in our lives at the moment that is completely outside of our control. Um, You know, as I said, sick child, an ageing parent or something like that. And when we organise our space, uh, we are controlling the controllables. So we don't need to be fighting with our wardrobe first thing in the morning just to get dressed. We're not worried about bills not getting paid. We're not um, racing against the clock to get the kids out to school or the Tupperware falling in on top of us when we open a kitchen cupboard. Those are the small things that really add a huge amount of stress and anxiety that don't need to be there. And so therefore, when you declutter, when you organise, you're taking back a bit of control in not only your space and your life. Um, Our homes are so important. This is where we nourish ourselves, nourish our families, our most important relationships. And so therefore, it's really, really important to honour our space. And I consider organising and looking after our homes as a form of self-care and taking care of ourselves. Yeah. And I I mean, when we think of stress in life, we think of bigger things that happen, which of course do cause stress. And we forget about the low level things that we don't really get to think of, but that just buzz away in the background. Like you said, all that paperwork that can just pile up in the corner, adulting, I call it, that we just kind of put on the long finger those cupboards you say that fall in on top of you, that that really is cranking up your stress levels all of the time. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's just this, as you say, it's just this low level of anxiety there behind you, a to-do list. And we're beating ourselves up all the time that we're not getting to do the tasks on the to-do list. It's getting longer and longer. And I think women especially feel really bad that they're not looking after their house the way they feel they should, um, whatever should means. And, and so therefore, this is all just you know, going on in the background in our subconscious all the time. And it's adding to anxiety and stress, uh, which I think we can we can do something about with a little bit of organisation. 
And where does all the stuff come from? I mean, I know you probably can't even answer this question, but I, I, I was with a friend last night. She's currently having her house kind of remodelled a little bit now that her two boys are, are older. They need a bit more space and they're not sharing a room anymore. And she said because, you know, the builders are in and the plasters are in, she decided to tackle the kitchen. Now, it's a really small space, her kitchen, but she couldn't believe the bags of stuff she took out of there as she reorganised every cupboard. How do we accumulate so much? Um, Well, I suppose um, the first reason we accumulate stuff is because of time. You know, I'm, um, I'm also just doing a bit of a makeover in my apartment at the moment. I'm there 12 years. And so a two-bedroom apartment across 12 years, you're going to accumulate stuff. So that just happens. I find often with clients, uh, organised chaos clients, uh, they tend to come back to me for a top-up every five years. There seems to be a five-year gap there um, for accumulation. So that's just one aspect. But... um, I do feel as though um, a certain, I don't know whether it's anxiety, whether it's stress, whether it's post-COVID, I'm not sure what it is, but we seem to be accumulating more and more in an effort to keep up with the Joneses or something. Maybe it's Instagram or something, what the neighbour has, what what I see somebody else have on social media. I must have it in order to feel feel fulfilled. And so therefore, our accumulation is just increasing, increasing but yet we're not letting things go then on the other side of it. And so therefore, the space is running out in our homes. And why do we find it difficult to let go of this stuff? I think, well, there's a few reasons why it's difficult to let go. Again, time is a huge factor. We just don't have the time to deal with it. So that's the first thing. But that is less important than our emotional connection to our items. So very often we'll say, um, oh, I can't I can't get rid of that buggy or, that I was given. I feel guilty. My sister gave it to me. I, can't, I feel too bad letting it go. Or I can't get rid of these books. My um, father gave those to me. Or I just love all my clothes. I can't. I remember every single event that I wore, every single piece too. And so therefore, we we can't get rid of these items. And we come up with these, all these reasons. But what actually is happening is that when we let go of that item, we are going to feel a certain emotion. We're going to feel sad. We're going to feel guilty. We're going to feel regret, etc. We don't want to feel that feeling. And so therefore, it's just easier to keep it. We're just constantly pushing the emotions away. And as a result, we're holding on to an item. And so therefore, we're losing precious real estate um, in an effort to avoid feeling awful. And how organised does our home need to be? Like, I feel like there's so many accounts now on Instagram where we're we're looking at, you know, alphabetised walk-in wardrobes, colour coordinated, spice racks are, are being put into special jars with special labels. Is that a step on or is there somewhere in the middle where we can just take back a bit of, of control and get a little bit more space? Do we have to go to that degree. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, the um, Instagram and the Pinterests of the world is is what, you know, ma- magazines and that are giving this beautiful impression because they're supposed to be. It's it's marketing. That's what they're, they're, you know, that's what they're supposed to do. But it gives us this unrealistic expectation that our homes are supposed to be like this. Otherwise, we are not achieving what we're supposed to be achieving. And it looks stunning. And I always say, look, if you, you get a base level of 
of organisation into your into your home. And then if time allows and you want to, absolutely bring it up a notch. But for now, what can you do now? Very often clients will come to me and they might say, oh, I need to renovate my kitchen or I need to renovate my wardrobe or I just need to move house. But sure, then you'll just fill that as well. The aim is to try and sort out the current space that you have right now. The level of organisation that I will want will be different to what you want, will be different to what my sister wants. Organisation is about comfort. It's not about OCD and having every single thing perfect because OCD is a really stressful state of mind. Organisation should bring comfort into your life and into your home. So the level of comfort will vary. So therefore, yeah, there's there's plenty that can be done that does not require going to alphabetized CDs and color coded books, you know. And decluttering, I assume, is possibly the first step. And that doesn't mean you have to live in a minimal house where there's nothing visible. Where do you suggest people start? Um, I think the best place to start with when you're decluttering is to look at all your flat surfaces. So that could be the kitchen island, kitchen counters, the table, um, the fireplace, the mantelpiece, the bedside lockers, those sorts of things. Um, because what that will do is that it's it's a smaller space, so you're going to get a quicker win. And so therefore that will increase your motivation. But it's also um, all those spaces, those flat spaces are, it's it's constant reminders of things that you have not got around to. And so therefore by removing that, you're going to immediately feel better. It helps your third eye, it calms everything down. The largest flat space in your home is the floor. And the golden rule of organising is to keep your flat surfaces clear, especially your floor. That does not mean clear of anything. It just means clear of something that shouldn't be there in the first place anyway. And if you start losing your floor to clutter, that's when you really need to put a halt to it and to make some changes in the space. So does it start with ordering a skip and throwing things out or can you start small with a a black bag? Yeah, I think start small. I think when it comes to uh, organising, like for example, um, in your wardrobe, you could put a um, strong shopping bag or something in the bottom of the the wardrobe. And every day as you're you're getting dressed or um, in the morning or something, or you happen to see a t-shirt or a shirt or a skirt or something that you no longer want or doesn't fit into the bag, it goes. And so you've already started this declutter in a very small way. And it's just becoming part of what you were doing anyway, which was getting ready. It's a sort of like a habit stacking situation. You already do something. So how can I add this new action into, into my daily life? Um, so that's one quick way in which to start a declutter. The key is with decluttering is it's not about how much you do. It's how often you do it. You could go get a skip on and then decide, right, this Saturday I'm going to clear out the house and blitz it. And some people might have some success with that. But the key is is to do a little bit every single day. If you wanted to get fit and you were going to the gym or going to a coach or something like that, you're not just going once and that's it. It is 
twice or three times a week for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And that's how you're starting to see the change. So you're essentially getting your house fit as well. A little bit every single um, week, once a week, once, you know, once every two weeks, whatever that happens to be to suit your lifestyle. It's more important to look at how can I fit this into my time then how much am I actually getting rid of? The little bits of organisation so you know mm-hmm. where to reach for things that everything has its own place. Yeah, That's kind of what we're looking to get to. Well, people can find out more at organisechaos.ie. Sarah Reynolds, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Alive and kicking on News Talk. Welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Now, the very pink run has been taking place since September 30th when it started in Dublin. It's gone all over the country with people taking part in person and virtually. And the last event takes place later today in Cork in the grounds of MTU at 12 noon. Everyone running, walking or wheeling around and their sponsorship is raising much needed funds for Breast Cancer Ireland who are making great strides in making many forms of cancer a very treatable condition. Survival rates are up and their aim is to keep this going through breakthrough research, but they need your support. There are so many families, if not all here in Ireland, who've been affected by cancer in some way. And my next guest, Lauren McGee, lost both her parents to breast cancer and she joins me in studio now. Lauren, you're very welcome. Thank you. Now, as people will hear in the intro, you've seen the very dark side of cancer. And I think that's why events like the Very Pink Run are so important that people can experience a positive or do something positive in this area. Yeah, absolutely. It's become one of those things for my family now. It's our second year taking part where it kind of gives us that opportunity and space to kind of celebrate both of them and the loss that we have um, just together and in a better way than kind of a sad gathering of people. So we kind of get to celebrate together every year, which is really good. Yeah, yeah, I think it's really, really important as well as raising the, the much needed funds. Can we talk a bit then about your parents? You lost your dad when you were really young. You were just a teenager. Yeah, I was only about 13, I think, when my dad first got diagnosed um, with cancer, which was um, a hard hit for us all. I had two younger siblings at the time, so we were all kind of a bit in the dark. Um, And then a few months after my dad was diagnosed, my mom was also diagnosed with breast cancer. So um, the family was just kind of completely shook and um, hadn't affected us personally really in any way before up until this and um, none of my other aunties or uncles or anything were affected but yeah that one really hit home um, and then recently we lost my mom to breast cancer so between the two of those and the span of 10 years it's been a long time of it really kind of affecting the family and just yeah it's changed us all. And we don't usually hear about men with breast cancer and reading about your story, cancer wasn't really mentioned. It was more that your dad was unwell. Yeah, it was just he's sick. There's something wrong. You know, he kind of shaved his head and we were all like a little bit something's going on here, but it wasn't really talked about. He's going to die or he's only been given two years to live. It was just kind of he's he's a little bit sick at the moment and we'll kind of get through it. Um, him himself, he didn't even expect it to be male breast cancer. It wasn't really heard of at the time. It wasn't talked about. And I don't think when he went to get it checked out that he knew that was going to happen. And sounds like he was incredible through it all. He Oh yeah, he amazing. He took it all in his stride. He just absolutely went for it. He kind of used those two years that he had left to kind of spoil us like completely um, and kind of just made jokes of it himself. You know, even when he had his operation, he wanted to get a little tattoo over the scar to have a little shark bite. He thought it was hilarious. He was like the personality of the family. So he still just like made us all happy and lifted us all up during one of the worst times of our life. Yeah. 
And your mom and dad were going for chemo together. So everyone in the hospital knew them because you don't often hear of a couple going for treatment at the same yeah, time. Yeah, it's a rare case where they just kind of meet up for chemo. My dad would be at work and just stop off to get his chemo. My mom would meet him there and they'd have it together. So uh, they're famous in the hospital now, in the Beacon Hospital. Um, yeah. And when your dad died, obviously that was a big blow to all of you, but your mom lost the love of her life and had to continue on this cancer journey and and minding you guys through that. Exactly. And I don't think I understand the real impact of that until now when I'm kind of older and I can understand, like if I lost my partner now, how it would just affect my life completely. And the fact she was able to even carry on, even though my auntie does tell me stories of, you know, in the background, she like couldn't get out of bed or she didn't want to. But the reason she did it was for the three of us. So kind of carried her through that time was really hard for her. Yeah. And especially psychologically for her, to be experiencing the same cancer and to watch that one person she loved and that support system die must have been so difficult for her to overcome. It was really hard, yeah. You could just see it inside, it crushed her. You know, she kind of changed a lot. And during that time, I really had to step up. I was only 15, 16 when he passed away. So I kind of became that second parent figure for um, my siblings, particularly my sister. She was only six when he passed. Um, so it just kind of changed the dynamics of the whole family. I could see my mom was kind of, you know, struggling and trying to do everything um, which she'd never done before, whether it was running a business and um, that her and my dad ran together um, or looking after the three of us. It was all on her now. So I kind of stepped up and stepped into that with her parent role. And that's one of the reasons you want to share your story, because we don't often hear about the impact that cancer has on the whole family. Exactly. So as an ambassador for the um, Very Pink Run, it's just one of those things where I think I offer a different perspective where um, a lot of the ambassadors have different stories in their own individual one and mine is a little bit unique where I personally haven't been affected by the disease um, in a physical sense, but completely in an emotional way. So um, losing both parents by 25 and having to step into that role of looking after younger siblings uh, unexpectedly, taking on the ownership of a house and everything that comes with it. It's not something that's really talked about. Um, we kind of like to think of my mom and dad as they're in a happy place now. They're together, you know, I'd say my, like at the end, my mom was delighted, not delighted, but she was happy. She told me, you know, I'm happy to go now. I'm going to be with your dad and it's fine. But nobody talks about what's next. Uh, I have to live as like the oldest sibling with all this pressure and all these extra strains. Um, yeah, there's just a lot that comes afterwards that we have to live with and my parents don't have to live with, you know, it's what's left behind. And you were also the sole carer to your mum. I mean, she tried everything. It sounds like every treatment, yeah, she every she tried it. Thing. Yeah, she tried all of the drips, all the tablets, everything she could possibly do, she did right up until the very end. Um, and she was at home the whole time. She did not want to go to a hospice. She only ended up being in there for literally 24 hours before she died. Um, so I kind of took it upon myself. COVID was something that nobody really likes to talk about, but it was a great time in my life because it gave me the opportunity to work from home full time, to be there at my mom for the whole two years before she died, which without COVID wouldn't have been possible. I wouldn't have been able to keep working and looking after her um, between feeding her meals, putting her to bed, helping her to the bathroom, helping her shower. Um, it just, yeah, it was made possible by being at home the whole time. And what about your siblings? You were looking after them also. Yeah, so my brother's um, only a couple of years younger than me, but he'd be the more emotional one of the family. So he took it a lot harder that, you know, he refused to 
see as it was getting closer to her passing away that it was going to happen. So it really hit him hard towards the end. Um, whereas I nearly felt this kind of guilt where I had a relief when she had finally passed because we'd been constantly talking about it for the last two years. She'd prepped me for it. She'd, you know, planned her own funeral before, went through everything with me in terms of documents, house, all the legalities of it. Um, and then my sister was the youngest too. Um, I'd say... It kind of helped to raise her in a way where my mom was a little bit on the weaker side after my dad passed. I kind of stepped in and we have a really close relationship now where we've kind of almost trauma bonded over the whole situation. Um, But yeah, the three of us just look after each other even now. We're always there for each other. It's definitely made us stronger or closer than a lot of other siblings would be. Yeah. And it really takes a special kind of person to be a carer in that situation and watch your loved one need help washing, dressing, you know. Yeah, it just, it completely changes the view of your mum. You see your parents as these care providers who will always be there for you, always look after you. You don't have to worry about them. They're invincible. But uh, as soon as you become someone's carer, you start to see, you know, everyone's human, everyone, they nearly go back to looking after a baby. Like she couldn't at the end even walk to her room to go to the bathroom. And even that started to kind of defeat her where she didn't want to be seen in this way. She didn't want to be, she didn't want me to help her go to the bathroom because she's such an independent person. Um, and when I had to start taking over, you know, she was just fed up at that stage and completely changed her personality where she just kind of fell down. Yeah. And as you said, it reached a point where a hospice was the next step and she was OK with that. She felt tired and she felt ready. And when you got to the hospice, they were just so impressed with the incredible job that you had done. And they couldn't believe that this had just been done by someone in their yeah. early 20s. Yeah, it was it was crazy to think. I never, I think when I was in the moment looking after, I didn't think it was as big of a deal or as big of a thing to kind of care for somebody. But when I showed up to the hospice that day with like a bag of tablets, kind of explaining to them she needs this one, this one at this different times. um, they were kind of like they didn't they didn't think that this was happening at home or that it could be done at home, but she wanted to stay home. So I just kind of had to stay face for her and just kind of fake be happy, I suppose, whilst looking after her and trying to keep my own life together at the same time. Which is just incredible, which is why I want to talk about it, because it's just so commendable that you were able to take that on. But I think yeah. we underestimate young people. We underestimate people in their 20s. Um, but at a time where there's supposed to be no responsibility, you had all the responsibility and you really took it on. Um, and I suppose in many ways it was not having any choice, but did you surprise yourself with the strength of character that you oh, found? Completely. Yeah, it's changed me as a person completely. You know, if I look back and I look at all the things that I missed out on, like I was in college when she was sick, so I never really went on nights out. Um, I tried to like stay home where I could. Um, yeah, I didn't go out that often, but when you look back on it, you have those moments and those memories of being together. You wouldn't change for the world. So, but it's completely changed me. I'm I'm a very strong person. I know no matter what happens, I'll be able to get through it because the worst things that could happen to me have happened to me. So, um, me and my sister just say, as long as there's the two of us and we're fine and we're together, um, and my brother as well, then everything will be fine. And how is life now for the three of you? Um, it's good. It's better. It's still challenging. You know, um, me and my sister um, and my partner live in our family home um, and my brother lives with his girlfriend, but is over all the time. So trying to manage the actual, you know, I've just been landed with a house and have all these bill kind of things is a struggle. But 
having your life back after losing someone and being their carer for over two years is just, it, it's a weight off your shoulder. Um, and do you ever think about cancer and whether or not it could be in your future and how do you oh, all this handle time. that? Yeah, it's just, it's a constant thing that's at the back of your mind, you know. Um, I'm in in line to get the test for the genes um, that could potentially affect us. Um, nobody in my family was had really got tested before or had the genes, so it could be me that both my parents have it. It's a chance I could, um, but that waiting list is quite long, but it's always in the back of my mind. Um, I think I'm nearly, I'm a very much a realist. So I, I've already thought ahead to, okay, they've both passed away in their 40s. That could be me. I'll just enjoy the next 10 years. It's And it's not something that people think of or whenever I say it out loud, it kind of sounds crazy to think I've got myself dead and buried. I'm only 26 now, but um, it's just the way I kind of keep myself focused. I keep myself grounded that if I enjoy the next 10 years, then they had a fabulous life. So why can't I as well? And I think we should all realise how precious life is. Quite often we just yeah. sleepwalk through days or we stress about the little things. And of course, that's normal um, and that's allowed. But it is an important life lesson to learn that, you know, everything can change in 24 hours. Yeah, overnight, everything can change. And um, I'm the person that prepares for it. My brother is the person that ignored it. So you have two completely different people. But I think both of us, after going through such a heavy situation, has made us better people. It's changed us and makes us stronger. And you just have to value each day as you get it because tomorrow something could happen and it could all end. And that fear around cancer in anybody's future, not just yours, is why it's so important that we fund research because research is what's making the breakthrough, is what's changing the statistics. And I know that's, you know, another reason that you share your story. Yeah, because exactly. Yeah. So it all started when I kind of reached out to Breast Cancer Ireland just to share my story um, and ask if there was anything I had to help with. Um, and they asked me to be an ambassador. And since then, it's just, it's made me feel better being able to share my story because I know not to the extent, but there are a lot of people going through the exact same situation. Everybody that's going through cancer, everyone that's fighting it has a family, has friends that are affected in the same ways I've been. Um, and it just gives them a little bit of hope that, you know, you can get through it. I'm a more extreme circumstance, but... I'm here now and I'm happier than ever. So it's all good. And you are incredible. I absolutely inspired by your story. I'm so grateful that you came on to share it. Um, if people want to find out more, they can go to breastcancerireland.com. You'll find out about the Very Pink Run, other events they have going and where you can donate. Lauren McGee, I wish you a long and happy life. And may you be sitting telling your grandchildren aged 100 all the lessons you've learned along the way. Yes, let's hope so. <laughs> Alive and kicking on News Talk. Now, Jessica Seppel is a clinical nutritionist. Originally from South Africa, she moved to Australia as a teen and finding herself worn out by the cycle of fad diets, she began to document repairing her relationship with food and her body on her blog, JS Health. Three best-selling books, a global brand and a supplements range worth billions of dollars later, her mission is still the same. To show people that a balanced life is a healthy life and we don't need to restrict. She was in Dublin recently and I went to her hotel suite to meet her. Thank you so, so much for having me. And I'm just loving Dublin, as I've told you. Yeah. Such a treat to be here. As the kind, Honestly, the kindest people. I think that's the highlight. And good for you to meet the people that Very. use your products and get their feedback. Yes, it's the best. We had an event yesterday and I've had so many press meetings and everyone genuinely takes and loves the product. I think for me as a nutritionist, it's great. And sometimes... I get worried that our brand is almost too trendy because sometimes that takes away 
the efficacy and the trust and I, I just want people to actually understand that these are serious vitamins and when you take them you notice results and I'm so grateful that the ambassadors that we work with are seeing results that's most important to me as a, as a you know as a practitioner who actually cares about people's health and well-being so it's so cool like them taking our magnesium and having better sleeps at night or taking our bloating formulation taking our skin and digestion formula like just makes me so happy to see people really using our products with good results and let's go back then to the beginning of your journey because I think you've got such an important health message because you like so many of us got tied up in diet culture and thought focusing on weight loss and restriction was the way to health chronic fat diet for at least 10 years honestly from the age of about 13 14 till 23 minimum so my story is interesting because I immigrated from South Africa to Australia when I was 13 and you know that's when your body starts changing from puberty I got my period and I started having a little bit of hips and a little bit of weight gain and I panicked because I believed my whole life that being thin would make me more lovable and accept- accepted um, and I latched onto fad diets as a way to control my changing body shape and size and probably my changing environment having immigrated and I literally discovered fad diets through the trashy magazines, fashion TV, it's very much Kate Moss times. There was no social media at the time, so I, I can't imagine how difficult it is these days. But I literally latched onto any single fad diet that would promise me a thinner body. And I tried every fad diet. And the funny thing about fad dieting is that each one tells you something completely opposite. So by the end of it, you're afraid of all the foods. So 10 years of doing that, I was just petrified of foods, petrified of carbs, petrified of, petrified of protein, fat, everything. Um, I was restricting and then binge eating because we know that cycle of restrictive eating followed by overeating and binge eating and that cycle just continues. We actually know in the research now that dieting does not work long term. And having been in private practice for so many years with patients, also being in the industry now for 15 years, I can say to you firmly that I've never been able to meet someone who's been able to stick to a diet for longer than six to eight months. So we know it just doesn't work. So it's unfortunate to get caught up in that cycle because it's disappointing every time. And the results that you achieve are the short-term results too. So you can, even if yes, some diets do yield results, but those results are so short-term. But the problem with fat dieting too is that you strain your relationship with food and your body. And I developed such a disconnected relationship with myself and my body, constantly weighing myself. And that number on the scale just became the determination of my self-worth, which is so sad. And um, just disconnected, hating on myself, you know, really developed negative body image, body dysmorphia, just not liking myself and my body. And so I had to go on then another 10-year journey to repair my relationship with food and my body and literally let go of the addiction of fad dieting and transition to becoming a whole food balanced eater and that's how I started the JS Health blog. So that was 2012 or 2011 when I started that transition. Um, I was studying health and nutrition for five years and I really felt there had to be a better way and I was sort of preaching that. I was asking the community, I was like, together, let's find a better way to live a healthy, balanced life and now here I am, I can tell you I don't fat diet for sure, I eat every food, I'm so balanced, I have not weighed myself in years, I don't look at calories, I don't look at numbers, I have a very healthy relationship with food and my body, it's taken a long time and anyone else can achieve the same but it's freedom. 
you know it really is and and you don't need to be on a fad diet to achieve that to achieve health and wellness and vitality and feeling confident in your body and feeling comfortable in your skin so that became the Jay's Health message and then five years ago Jay's Health Vitamins as a result of my obsession with nutrients and minerals because you started off helping people one-on-one then obviously you're helping more with your blog your online courses you've had best-selling books and how have you at the center of it now as you've mentioned you have a JS Health vitamin range which is a global billion dollar organization how have you stayed at the center of it snowballing like this Mm, you have to really well luckily I have the tools in my box weekly therapy (laughs) but also looking after myself like I'm first and foremost a nutritionist so if I don't practice what I preach and follow the principles in my book I honestly feel like a con like I feel like I'm I, I feel it's a responsibility to practice what I preach and that is it's the simple things that I think help you to live a healthy, balanced life. It means switching your phone off some weekends, having earlier nights. I have a strict social media boundary at 8.30 p.m. I literally delete the apps. And I don't check social media until 9 o'clock or until my my work day starts the next day. So I have a healthy nighttime routine and a healthy morning routine. Like Just those bookmarks have set me up. I take my vitamins. I eat a healthy, balanced... I eat healthy, balanced food, but I also indulge... I drink wine and I go out on Saturday nights and I have dessert, but then I choose to eat healthy foods because I choose to have energy and feel good. It's just the little things, you know, saying no to social arrangements, drinking more water, having more sleep, taking magnesium to help my sleep. Um, You know, you don't have to be extreme with behaviors in the healthy life. I always say the small changes equals big change often. And so no one has to do anything drastic. It's like adding more greens to your plate, adding protein and fats to your meals to stabilize your blood sugar levels. We don't drink enough water. And we, do we know that the number one cause of fatigue is what? Dehydration. So just the little things is what helps me keep, helps myself feel balanced. And mentally, as I say, I'm in therapy every week. And just, as I say, practicing what I preach and following the philosophies still from my books, honestly. I follow every single one. And everything you're doing, you wholly believe in. You're still looking to help people and get your message out there. And that obviously fuels you. But your life must be busy and your pages are full of the most beautiful recipes. How do you make time to make healthy food choices? Yes. Honestly, it's just become... I think that's the best thing about the healthy life. It becomes like a habit. You almost just becomes automatic because you know that you'll feel better choosing that option healthy meals for me cooking it needs to be so 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 quick and easy like literally my meals are 10 to 15 minutes I just don't have the time you probably did not have the time you know I finish work at 7 7 30 p.m most nights so it has to be a 15 to 20 minute meal max I have a thing called the Jay's Health Sunday prep where you just prep your fridge and pantry with food for the next for the first at least for the first few days of the week and you'll be amazed at how that supports you to cook healthy meals for the first couple of days at least um but it's simple like some days some nights it's scrambled eggs with avocado and healthy toast you know doesn't have to be fancy sometimes it's stir-fried brown rice with a little bit of kale and eggs or tofu it's super simple one my one pans are very popular because you just put your protein on the pan veg surrounded with vegetables some sweet potato and add it to the oven for 20 minutes and done and what were the sort of common things that you were hearing from your clients or from your followers that you still hear now? What are some of the yeah. biggest 
misconceptions around health and well-being that diets work probably interestingly you know people will say well vitamins don't work we don't need supplements um through a healthy if you're eating a healthy diet and there's no one who believes in the power of nutrition more than myself as a nutritionist it's first and foremost food but supplements are that they're a supplement they're a medicine for specific pain points because you can fit a therapeutic dose of nutrients and minerals into them so for specific pain points so you, you you know if you're thriving you don't need supplements potentially there are three base formulations that people feel well taking magnesium fish oil probiotic but supplements exist for additional support so you can be doing all the right things like i do like you do eat well exercise balanced lifestyle but i still don't often sleep well i'm still a bit of an anxious mind and i might potentially get bloated especially when I'm traveling, that's where supplements come in because you can't really get 81 milligrams of the lavender oil extract that's been proven to relieve disturbed sleep and calm the mind through food or through eating lavender or through lavender tea. So basically cleaning up your diet a little bit, taking a probiotic and then taking a bloating formulation can really help and reducing stress. We know stress can cause bloating too. And as you said, they're supplements. It's supplementary to a healthy, balanced lifestyle. Only when you need them. And where there's fun, where there's balance, where there's joy, this is essential. And you're really doing great at getting your message out there, but it's 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 new, this message, isn't it? it What's I would been say missing from the health and well-being message? The balanced message? Yeah. yeah. People just believe in these extremes, I guess, because they, they make it to the media. But I really, truly believe you can achieve healthy results and feel good and feel your best by not fad dieting by finding balance and being kind to yourself and removing the guilt and giving yourself permission to eat all the foods in moderation choosing healthy foods because you feel good doing so but giving yourself permission to indulge it's all about balance really and it's all about other things too sleep stress boundaries it's not just diet it's exercising in ways that you love because that's what you'll commit to 20 minutes is enough you know, you don't need to put pressure on yourself to do it all. The healthy life, the body is very forgiving, honestly. You know, being and kind to it is the most important. Did any part of you struggle with bringing out a supplement range? Because the market is so saturated. And yeah. as you said, it can be so overwhelming to mm-hmm. know what the right one is is to take. That's sort of why I created JSL Vitamins, because I say it in a humble way, but I was constantly disappointed by the supplements that I was often prescribing. I wish they had this magnesium or this form of the ingredient or this dose and this I wish they didn't use this filler this excipient so I created it because I was so fastidious on ingredients as a nutritionist I knew what worked and what didn't and I knew that therapeutic doses were so important and where the ingredient comes from was so important in the form you know in the manufacturing world you can easily choose the cheaper more non-results driven form because it's easier to do so but I care too much about my customers feeling good through our supplements so you just won't, if you care so much about your customer's health, you refuse to compromise. It's a refusal to compromise to give you guys the best magnesium, to give you guys the best dose of fennel, to give you guys the best strains of probiotics, to give you the triple strength fish oil that's sustainably sourced, wild caught, heavy metal tested, vanilla, you know, it's, it's just an obsession with helping people to feel good. I was disappointed by supplements, so that's sort of what led me on that journey. And influencer marketing is a huge part of how you get the message yeah. out there. Did you ever feel like people would not believe what they were seeing? Yes, that's what's so important though for me is that yes, we work with influencers, yes, we work with ambassadors, but it's very important they take J's Health Vitamins first and experience the results. 
you have to take Jay's health vitamins to understand it. I worry sometimes about working with ambassadors and influencers because it makes it look like we're just paying them to promote product. But it, we only work with people who do notice results. Honestly, they have to trial Jay's health vitamins for a period of time before we work with them. They have to see results. Otherwise, it just, you can, it just doesn't feel genuine. Um, even this morning, I met with an influencer and I said, don't even talk about a partnership until you've done the six-week protocol. We were really focusing on stress, anxiety, and sleep. And I gave her a lot of our mental well-being formulations. And I said, you need to trial this first. And when you see the results, when you see you're sleeping better and get more energized, then a collaboration feels more authentic. I love that. And the bigger the brand has grown, I know you've moved to LA recently, yes. that it's now being sold across the US, which is a huge yeah. move. Do you have to give over some of the control? Yes, and that's how hard. do you manage that? That's really hard for me because it's my baby and you care so much about the integrity behind a brand. And so it's really difficult to let go of control. But I have an incredible team. You just have to find people who are better than you. <laughs> at everything um, and I'm just the product developer I'm just the nutritionist I just care about people's health and well-being and I am so lucky because I get to transfer all the business stuff the numbers I'm the only one in the whole company who's never had access to Shopify <laughs> so I'm just not interested in that side I'm the creative I'm the I guess I'm the the visionary of what the brand can be and so I just continue to fuel that with my passion and belief that people deserve good supplements. People deserve to understand the healthy life can be balanced and enjoyable. It's just a passion. It's like you wake up every morning and so like you, you just want to continue to feel that passion and, people and purpose. People deserve to feel good. People deserve to feel good. Whether it's through supplements, through diet, through understanding fad dieting, doesn't whatever it, through this, through whatever way possible, people deserve to feel good. So you're leaving Dublin now today. Where next? London. I have a beautiful team in London, literally for the last three or four years now, and they've done such an amazing job. I'm going to see them and do some press there. Well, it's just incredible that you started this journey to fix your own relationship with your body and food. You went on to help people one-on-one, -on -one, and now you've built a global empire. Continued thank success you. to you, Jess. And thank Aww, you so much for you. talking so nice to me to today. Meet you. I'm coming back to Dublin, for sure. I love it here. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer, Aoife Breen, and to Hugo De Silva-Scott, who was on sound. And thanks as ever to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna. Sunday morning at 8 on News Talk.